Good morning, Patriots, and welcome to the Patriots Prayer Podcast. I have a special guest with me today, none other than Kyle Serf, an ex-FBI agent turned whistleblower. Um, I, everyone's heard of him, been on the Bongino Show. He's made his rounds, Tim Cass and others. Uh, we have a lot going on in our world, and I uh, just want to appreciate you taking the time, Kyle, to uh, join us here on the Patriots Prayer and and, and and share your thoughts as we discussed, you know, what's going on around us. Uh, our country is in a state of being that I never thought in a million years that I would see. Um, and it happened in a very short, seemingly it happened in a very short span of time. Some of the things that uh, we see that have uh, upended us culturally, legally, um, medically, I mean, you name it, you name it. And, and so, you know, I look at all these threats around and I try to read the news like I'm looking at tea leaves or something to try to figure out what's really going on. What do you see when you just take a just a, the 360 at, at, at the, the news and the headlines and with your perspective? What, what, what do you think is the biggest danger to America right now, right now? I think there's it kind of depends on the front that we're looking at, but I, I spend a lot of time looking at everything the way that I did when I was an agent, which is that I'm a skeptic. Um, whenever somebody says something, I assume that that's the opposite of the truth. And then I go to yeah. find out whether that that lines up with reality or not. And so if I read a news story, it's like, what are they trying to tell me here? What are they trying to not tell me? What are they trying to push forward that's keeping from something else? And so if you approach everything as a skeptic, and that means all the people that you want to believe too. You mentioned, uh, you know, my buddy yeah. Dan Bongino. I listen to Dan and I go, does Dan know what he's talking about on this? You know, is there more going on here? Is he not allowed to say what he needs to say? Um, it doesn't matter who it is. If you if you assume that just because the source is good, that everything they say is correct, you'll get lured into traps because we all get lured into traps. It's the nature of the mm -hmm. beast. If you should, if you approach everything with skepticism, then what you'll do is you'll realize some things are true, some things are false. Everybody's got an agenda. Even the people that mm -hmm. seem pure-hearted, I have an agenda. My agenda is to try to destroy the FBI. I don't want it to be there because I know what the FBI is. So how do I do that? I, you know, I, I push certain messages that are that are repetitive and they are true and they are fundamentally accurate that most people don't have. So that's what I'm doing. People look at me and they go, okay, well, he doesn't like the FBI. Is there another position? You should listen to that position too and then decide who's correct and decide so whether the facts actually substantiate the claims that people make. It doesn't matter mm -hmm. who they are, no matter how much you like them. So that's where I, I, I say this. I say this quite often. I say right and wrong has to mean more than right and left. And it's, it's, I think that's pretty much common sense, you know, right and wrong, right and left. We definitely need, you know, for instance, we, we seen um, Matt Gates take a stand that he was very unpopular in, mm -hmm. in government circles and people loved it in government. They didn't like it so much. And only eight people stood up with him to do that. And that was, that was an eye opener for me. I was like, wow, we really don't have truly America first candidates to, to the level where they're willing to step out like that. There was so hundreds of people in only eight, only eight were the ones well, that actually consider this having lived in Washington, DC, you obviously been around there. You see what kind of people there, there's a mm -hmm. fundamental disconnect between what the American people expect and what people in Congress think the American people expect. Sure. There, there's an ongoing discussion right now as the year came to a close, as we're halfway through this Congress. Mm. And the question is, is this Congress failed because they have passed the least number of bills that's ever been passed in a Congress, or at least in the last modern era, 150 years? 
And, and Congress is looking, they're saying, well, we normally have 391 bills passed and we're only at 27. Like we're really not, we're failing. We're failing to find consensus and we're failing to do our job, pass a bunch of bills for the American people. Yeah. But the people that care about America are going, hey, bro, how about you just stop? Like I'd be willing to spot you the $10 million a month in salaries for all the Congress people and all their aides if you pass no more bills to the end of this, the term. Because if you're not passing those bills, the $10 million that we spend will be like, what, 100 million bucks? to get to November, okay. um, we'll, we'll take that. You know why? Because you're not going to spend trillions of dollars that we don't need to on lesbian dance theory in Argentina or wherever <laughs> the hell it's going to go. You know what I mean? Like, So it, what Congress thinks its job is and what we expect of Congress are, are not the same. Sure. And so anytime that you have a, a fundamental mismatch of expectations and the other person's expectation, they're trying to meet an expectation that's not there. It's the FBI is the same problem. I mean, I'll just give you a real, you expect, if you were to say, is the FBI fundamentally involved in law enforcement? What do you think? Oh, I, I think they are. I don't think that was their original role to be as far gone as they are in law enforcement. However, uh, we were always told, I mean, without any true knowledge and knowing FBI, we were always taught that the FBI were federal police, more or less. That's what that's the expectation, correct? And yet, if you listen to what the FBI expects of itself, the FBI tells you in a document called the Diog, it's the Domestic Investigations Operation Guide. The Diog specifically declares the FBI an intelligence agency first. That's their primary purpose. Mm -hmm. If people realize so, that we're, so they we're not talking the, about the same thing, so they would be like the domestic version of the CIA. That's the way they look at themselves. Sure. Yeah. And that, that was post-9-11. Yeah, it definitely grew post-9-11. There was always an, uh, I would say that it was like a smaller piece of the pie for a very long time. And, and post-9-11, that became a larger piece. And it's grown, I say, metastasized like a cancer to the point where it is now the most dominant part of the FBI, the most dominant people in the FBI, the seventh floor of the Hoover, whether they be the assistant director, the executive assistant director. And you know, I guess there's like a uh, assistant deputy director and so on, like the top, you know, probably 20 people that are agents there. Um, some of whom are no longer agents, but they're agent jobs. Those sure. people come out of the national security apparatus, which is to say counterintelligence and counterterrorism. And that's fundamentally at odds with what would have happened for most of the FBI's history. Most people assume that it's a law enforcement agency. And what I'm on a mission to tell people is that it's actually an intelligence agency that also has the ability to lock you up because they still have law enforcement authorities. And that's what you call a secret police. That's what a secret police would look like in any regime that's ever been in all the totalitarian areas that have ever happened. So you can say like the Gestapo type of a deal. Uh, you know, people always compare it to that KGB. It doesn't really matter what your, what your historical uh, analog sure. is. What it matters is, is that they have national security tools that are meant to basically not meet the criminal standard of creating a criminal case, which is to say probable cause, right? Um, they yep. have to be able to meet Evidence. the burdens. <laughs> They have to be able to meet the burdens that would that would stand up to the scrutiny of a judge. And they use national security tools, which basically say this stuff is more important. We're not going to criminally prosecute it. So we need to be able to access certain information. And mm -hmm. once they do that thing, whether it be FISA, 702 FISA, national security letters, like there are different techniques that are, and tools that are in a national security agent's box versus a criminal agent's box. Once you know where something is, they can find it using the criminal matter. They can go through using the criminal process. So they can go to a grand jury and say, hey, we'd like to go see uh, these bank records because we have probable cause to believe that there was a white collar fraud, even though you were investigating somebody over a terrorism or contact with a foreign nation. 
And how do they know it's going to be there? Because they've already seen what it was there. They've already seen it through these yeah, national yeah. security tools. So they're not going to be wrong. They're not going to embarrass the judge signing off on a warrant for a search, or they're not going to be able to, you know, if there's a grand jury subpoena, they're going to get back what they expect because they've already got it. They just need to they get it. In a non, it. They have to get a non-classified way of requesting it. And when that happens, like I said, that as a fundamentally at odds with what most people think the FBI is involved in. I had somebody say, well, who's going to solve all the bank robberies and kidnappings? And I was like, let me just ask you, <laughs> do you believe that the FBI's primary mission is going after bank robbers and kidnappers? And they're like, mm -hmm. yeah. And I'm like, okay, I'm failing. I'm failing then. I'm not doing my job of telling you what I need to tell you. And, and I'm telling your audience the same thing that I tell everybody. It's not an, an agency that is primarily concerned with law enforcement. That's not what's there. My first email address was kmseraphin at ic.fbi.gov. IC stands for intelligence community. It's the same predicate that starts off. It's you know ic.nsa. It's ic.cia. It's ic.dhs. It's anybody that's in that sort of that circle of intelligence community stuff. And that's all passed around on a secret network. The Simpernet is one way to call it. The FBI calls it FBI net. That's where there's at least a, a classification capability up to secret, no foreign. And that's, well, that's where they live. Let me ask you, you, you said you want to abolish the federal Bureau of investigation. You want to get rid of the FBI. I assume you don't want to get rid of like, we want to replace it with something. You want to, what does that look like? What does that, well, I mean, there's, yeah, there's a couple explain ways to me, do it. Explain to me your ideology and what, what would, what would, what you think would work better and what's more suitable for what, how do we fix these things? So everybody has to ask a different question. The question is if we abolish the FBI, what replaces it? That's not the real question. I don't think mm -hmm. the question should be something to the effect of this. We spend $11 billion a year on the FBI. Are we getting $11 billion worth of value out of it? Is that where we would spend $11 billion as the American taxpayers? Mm -hmm. And why was the FBI created? And is it still doing the job that it was created to do? And we have to look back to its inception. First of all, any any woman that lies to you about her birthday, that's an interesting thing to start like a, a like a rocky foundation on, right? And the FBI lies about their birthday. They claim that their birthday is in um it's in, two, in 1908 when it was created as the Bureau of Investigation. But the FBI actually became the FBI in 1935. Go look at the Air Force's birthday. It doesn't mm -hmm show up as the army air corps they don't claim when the army started an air wing called the army air corps they claim when they became the air force and they were actually a separate version under dod so they lie about their birthday and the reason that the fbi became the fbi as we know it in 1934 1935 as they crossed over this line they became armed federal agents was because there was a rash of bootleg era gangsters and people that were involved in interstate crime, knowing that they could rob a bank in Texas and flee to Louisiana. They could rob a bank in Louisiana and flee up to Arkansas. They could go from Arkansas to Oklahoma, Oklahoma over to Colorado. I think I'm doing it right. Go back down to New Mexico and then they could keep on moving. And as long as you kept moving around, changing county and state jurisdictions, you could avoid prosecution because nobody could keep up with you I've because there was it. no entity you know, this is the Bonnie and Clyde. This is the Dillinger gang. These are all right. the famous, you know, babyface Malones. These are the people that we believed were like acting like they were above the law. And we needed an outside, an extra state type entity, a federal agency to go through and do that. We didn't have what's called mutual aid where you had law enforcement that could trade things back and forth. There wasn't a national system of keeping track of bank, you know, bank robbery warrants or any other criminal arrest processes. They didn't have um, the same frequencies for radio. So call, you know, some local county and let's say orange county down in texas which goes all the way up to the edge of louisiana on, on route uh, 90 
you know, they're not going to be able to reach across and talk to the people necessarily who are in Louisiana, who are in different cars with different model radios doing different things in 1935. Let me ask you a question. Oh, God, I'm sorry. I don't mean that. Those problems have changed so dramatically. We don't have that problem anymore. We have NCIC, which is in fact maintained by the FBI, which is the criminal records check systems. We have mutual aid. We have things like NIMS, the National Incident Management System which was pushed out by FEMA is like, who's the on-scene commander if everybody gets there? It's the top person in the top rank in the top agency. We have these, these aid programs where, you know, one of my buddies is a former FBI agent and he's a county sheriff on the county line. He's in Washington on the county line of Oregon. He has an agreement with the sheriff in Oregon that his deputies can pursue a criminal up to 50 miles into the, the state boundaries. And they are going to be held as uh, peace officers in the state of um Oregon for that and vice versa. So they have this agreement. And if the calls get overrun on one side of the, of the state line or the other, these counties, because they're neighbors and adjacent, they can help each other out. That didn't exist in 1935. That hadn't been conceived of. So a lot of the problems the FBI was created to solve are not there anymore. And that's something people probably don't realize. They're mm-hmm. just comfortable with the idea that there was a Fox Mulder in the nineties. And, you know, <laughs> we probably, we must need a, an FBI today. But the question is, is do we like, do we? I don't know. Yeah, I, I do think that we've been conditioned at this point to to just accept it as face at face value. Uh, I, I do see a lot of danger in the way that they uh, they keep information. For instance, um, you remember uh, shortly after Snowden fled the country and uh, why he did, mm-hmm. uh, he wasn't the only one who blew the whistle the way he did. Like there were other people that didn't have to run. I, I never understood why they singled out this one man and, and left a a litany of others who said the same thing alone completely. Um, but shortly thereafter, we found out there were these things called fusion centers. I'm absolutely sure you're aware of what fusion centers are and it's mm-hmm. shared information, CIA, local law enforcement, FBI. We have one of the largest ones in the, in the country here in Las Vegas. And um, it's, you know, there, there are, I believe some inherent dangers uh, with, with uh, the, the the information that they keep on us without warrants, without going through the proper procedures to do it. I, I remember Obama giving a speech, um, basically, essentially saying that we're not going to do that. We're only going to keep two years of your electronic trail, your data, whatever it may be. And whether it be emails, text messages, whatever, you have a two-year trail that kind of follows you. And, and, and I'm thinking to myself, I, I don't care that you that you that you gonna, you're going to identify these things as wrong, um, and then say this is your answer to it, just to do a little bit wrong or a little bit illegal, a little bit warrantless, invasive, overreach, constitutional. It just doesn't make sense to me that he that he did that, but he did do that, and we well, continue I, that. If memory serves, I think the requirement is is that all toll records have to be held for 18 months. It might be two years, but for some reason, the, the, the number 18 months is in my head. Well, that might be more, that might be more correct, but it doesn't matter because those, those agencies, those, those, uh, telco companies, whether it be a T-Mobile, whether it be an AT&T, whether it be, Mm -hmm. you know, Verizon, they can hold them for as long as they want. And they do, they hold them for 10 years or more sometimes because the, the data is valuable. It's the same reason Google is actually just now voluntarily said they want to have far less of that. They don't want to nearly hold on to as much. And, and the reason is, is because there's an awful lot of federal process and they're, they're worried about some pending litigation that may come their way. And they may be, they may be jammed up for holding on to things that they don't want to hold on to. So they're actually advocating against it for the first time in a very long time, which is what they should do. 
because cooperating with the federal government is really a major pain in your ass. I mean, there's yeah. no other way around it. And if you're going to do it, compliance is expensive and complying is time consuming for a federal process. So the less you can encourage them to send you these, these kind of blanket requests, the better off you're going to be. So they're, they're, I think they're actually working in the right direction in some ways. So we just saw Elon Musk did one of the most historical. I don't think that he, the relevance of what he did by purchasing Twitter now known as X. Um, I think a lot of people don't really understand what he interrupted, what he changed. I mean, the the open sharing of information, for instance, uh, the spaces that we often both attend. Um, I see conversations take place with people in those spaces that you you never see on TV. I seen Elon Musk, Alex Jones, yourself, other people all in one space having a conversation. I mean, for someone who's a damn political nerd like myself, this is like your dream team having talks and you're able to sit here and witness this. And you're like, no one's ever done a TV show like this. This is crazy. This is amazing. But they tried so hard to disrupt the organization of people that are like-minded on the right. They, they just completely, I think they've gone out of their way. Correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, I'd love to hear your perspective, but they've gone out of their way to make sure that people who think, feel, and believe the way that we do never find each other or never, you know what I mean, grow um, and, and know who each other are and be able to share that information openly so it catches on. It, it, it There were interviews that I saw, speaking of Bongino, I was on his show, uh, where people literally said, yeah, our, our, there was a, a committee, not a law enforcement agency, an organization, and I wish I could remember their name, but they literally said our job is to make sure that these guys don't organize. And, 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 do, and we know it's illegal, but we worked with the FBI and it's like, it's like hold up, wait, rewind. <laughs> he just said, we know it's illegal and we work with the FBI to do it. So, I mean, do you see the, I mean, is, is this something that you, that you see as well? Do you see the fact that, you know, we just talked about it a little, little before we came on the air. And um, yeah, I mean, there are certain social media companies um, that go out of their way to make sure people like us don't get monetized. They use something we said. We misgendered Dylan Mulvaney. We we posted something that they their fact checkers, you know, try to label as misinformation, and then they they make sure it's not profitable for us to do what it is we're doing. We've seen it happen to Matt Walsh. We've seen it happen. Bongino was kicked off YouTube. This happens a lot. In your estimation, how do we fight this? What do we do? Uh, I, I, Section 230 is just, it, it gives them too much power to shut people down like us. Yourself well, section, as well. Yes, Section 230, 230 should actually be the defense. And it's actually being used improperly for the most part. Uh, there's a guy named Jason Fick who's been working on that. He's got what he thinks is the kill shot coming up. I'll wait and see. I'm happy to see good uh, lawsuits coming in. But in the interim, the average person, the, the most important piece is, is that you can't you can't self-censor. That doesn't mean you need to be inappropriate. You need to be vulgar. There's a big difference mm -hmm. between censorship and right. crafting a message that's of value. And uh, And I'll give you an example. If you were to say something profane, like this person does something and it's really awful, there's no commentary value on that. So anybody who wants to go and say, well, look, you just say awful things and they're not of value. You go, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> like that, I, but it felt good. It felt good to say it. Yeah. And you know, I'm not being filtered. I'm being honest and genuine. It's like, nobody cares. 
did you add value to the conversation? But if you're making mm -hmm. a commentary point, like what we see is, is this, and this is why, and these are the things we have going on. And what it means for our political environment is the following. This person is compromised. This person, you know, is unable to properly fulfill their job because they've lied about their qualifications, whatever it is, whatever these things mm -hmm. are, these are all hypothetical ideas. If you are adding value to what you're saying, then you have to persist. If you are actually adding some value, you cannot just say, well, that's going to get me demonetized and I'm going to have to self-censor. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't censor anything on Twitter. That, that's, what I, they, that's what they want us to I, do, though. That's but the I, fear. But, that's yeah, exactly. but I don't have a big following on, on the other. Like, I, like, look at any meta platform, Facebook, um, Instagram. I'm on my third one. <laughs> I, I've shut, I, had, I, got a, uh, I didn't use one, so that's probably my own fault. But I stream to Facebook every single day. I think zero people watch. I don't think anyone's ever watched on Facebook. I don't mm -hmm. care. I'll just put it out there. Um, I'm on Instagram. I have about 2,800 followers or something, like just less than 3,000, which is nothing compared to what I think should be out there. Because the content that I share, I'll get twenty or 30,000 views on a short that I share on Twitter, which is not a platform for shorts. Right. And this is, this is the measure of how I know that what I'm saying is resonating and this is what people want to hear. And right. you can look at it. You can look at any type of medium, whether it be music. Remember J six choir, Donald Trump did the, uh, the, the, the national anthem. It went number one on iTunes mm -hmm. it, 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 because people want this. The, the, I believe they're hypnotizing us you know, for lack of a better term. It's hypnotism uh, into it, trying to make people believe that we, we were outdated. This is not what people want. Um, our values have changed as a country. Uh, we're, we're, we're not a good country. Our, our beginnings were racist and all these, all these things that they try to do to tear us down, to get rid of our heritage, our history, our pride, and to try to make us buy into whatever this thing is they're trying to do this Marxist uprising you're trying to make us think there are two lights oh no there are three no there are two and this is the first generation that actually believes there are really three it's no it, you know what i i think that is that's the the attempt the attempt is to make you believe something that's not true i, I think it's actually very common for people to have mostly common sense and the only reason i know that is because i spent most of my life not with social media i'm 42 years old mm -hmm. and all i do is talk to real people in real places. I worked in a hospital. I used to run restaurants. Um, I've worked in finance. I've done a bunch of different jobs. It's the upside, and it's probably the reason why I am the guy that I am and why I'm mm -hmm. not like a lot of people that were FBI agents. There's a lot of my colleagues who came out of law school, maybe 25, 26 years old, jumped in, went to the academy, didn't know anything, had never worked a real job as far as I could estimate. You know, I had guys that had worked the minimum three full years of paid employment and got hired on by the bureau. I'm 35 when I go to the FBI Academy. I've served in the military. At, I, I enlisted when I was 27, for whatever that's worth. So I was already a knucklehead, for what I can tell, in my late 20s, doing you know yeah. bonehead things. I, I got out of the military at 31, almost 32 years old. So my life experience was different. And all I did was run around with real people in real places with no Facebook. I didn't have Facebook. I didn't have any social media. My first Twitter account was opened up like three days before I went on Bongino's show. Because I was like, shoot, people might want to reach out to me. I should figure out how to do that. I got 117,000 followers as of tonight. So like for whatever that's worth, yeah, that's, that's how that has progressed. That's people want to hear what I have to say. That's cool. But what I'm getting at is real people all over the place are actually far more in the middle than your social media and your, your mainstream media would have you believe.
Go now Absolutely. and knock on doors. You could go with a clipboard. Be like, hey, I'm doing a survey. I live in the neighborhood. I'm I'm asking 10 random questions. We're just trying to get a kind of an idea about it. And mostly what we're trying to do is debunk the myth that we're all very different. I'm curious what your answers are. Would you be willing to talk to me? They would go, uh, yeah, where do you live? You, I'm 244 down the way. And they go, oh, okay, cool. So then they go, okay, fine. So then you 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 say, okay, um, you know, do you think that men can physically become women? And they'd be and I'd be like, I'm not judging anybody. I'm not taking names. I'm just marking tallies. And they'd be like, no. You know, you know, do you want your, do you have any children? Yes. Uh, do you want them with people from the other gender in their bathroom? Like, no, they don't want that. Like all this shit is not interesting to the average person, whether they're on the political left. Why or do you right. think they're doing it? Cause they obviously know it's wrong. They're, they're, they're not doing this because they actually believe these things. I've actually heard a democratic congressman at an event that I went to and I was sitting at the very next table mm-hmm. <laughs> and I heard him talk about these exact things. And we agree. I agreed with him. And I was like, I say yeah, that they're, they're still regular people. And, because- and, but when he comes to, when he delivers his message, when he's talking to his constituents and constituency, rather can't speak, um, he's got a different message. And, and I know this for a fact. So yeah. he's telling you point blank. I don't agree with these. There shouldn't, these guys shouldn't be in the bathroom. They shouldn't be doing these. Things. And yet when he's running for office or he's putting in, yeah, he's completely for it. I, I, because, I because the lunatic fringes of probably both parties are actually running the show. Mm-hmm. The most extreme far right and the most extreme far left people are running the show. But America's always been a country that didn't live on the margins. Mm-hmm. It's really lived in the middle. It's the 80% in the middle that generally speaking, if we put us all in an auditorium, we could probably get along together and we would agree 80% of people in this country. This is my estimation. I think it's probably true. Even though that they would have you believe that 50% could never get along with the other 50%. Mm-hmm. That's what, that's what, that's what the, that's what well, the they're creating or, that th- they're they creating are. That. They're acting like we're part of a different tribe. But I, like I said, 80% of people would agree on 80% of the things I would be willing to bet money that if you were to sample people randomly, not on a phone survey, but you put them down, you put a burger in front of them and you sat down the number of lunatic lefties. Like I saw when I was doing surveillance in Portland is very fringe. I live yeah. outside of Austin, Texas right now. I used to live in downtown Austin. I used to live right next to all the you live in Austin, stuff. Texas. The San saying. Francisco of Texas. <laughs> and and what's crazy is if you went in Austin 10 years ago, what year is it right now? 2024. So yeah, I was 10 there years 10 ago, years ago. <laughs> it would have been fine. I used to go jogging all the time. They were like masculine dudes. They were pretty women. They were feminine. They were jogging. My, you know, I got I married my wife out there. Like all of the of the things about Austin, it used to just be like people who generally kind of like hippy dippy types, but they also had mm-hmm. guns. College they were party like, town. They were Texas Democrats. Mm-hmm. And now it's like weird naked people and everyone's got face piercings and it was starting to be the tattoo thing then. And it wasn't like now yeah. tattoo is so mainstream. It wasn't, you know, it used to be like a fringe thing where it was like, yeah, I'm rebelling. And now it's like, I'm conforming. Right. It's very funny. So the most punk rock thing that happens these days, I think this is just funny. If the most punk rock thing you can do is get married to like a woman who knows she's a woman and, and have children and raise them uh, in a, in a faith tradition, yeah. then, then we are, just on that side of the pendulum. We'll swing back. We definitely will. It uh all the people who know better say it's going to get, you know, western between now and then and that may be true. But it's only because we're being kept is. from each other. We're being kept I, from each other. Yeah, I mean it was it's it all I mean it, you can take it back to when uh, Obama made it legal to use propaganda on the news. You can take to when he got rid of the uh the fairness doctrine and and you don't have the CNN anchors and the Fox anchors having people with different opinions there as they present their news, they speak in an echo chamber. And what, what it here's does the thing: is- I don't, I don't hate that. 
I know they're full of it. You know they're full of it. We know mm. if you tune into CNN, you're going to get center left. You turn into MSNBC, you're going to get left left, mm. right? You turn into ABC and CBS, you're going to get center to far left. So you know what you're getting when you tune into it, as long as we all know. It's not like the, the danger is, is the people that don't know they're getting that. I think people on the political right have looked over and said, there's only one channel that's that's serving me. For, historically, that was Fox News. I think Fox News is dead. Um, they, you know, they fired my buddy Dan and, and then they got rid of Tucker. And I think that was the end and, of them. There's, and there are Trump. nice and smart people there. And Lana Trump. Yeah. I mean, yeah, all at the same time. Yeah. That doesn't mean there's not smart people there. It doesn't mean there's not capable people there. It just means that at the end of the day, that medium, that format is not going to survive probably another generation because I think people younger than me don't, they're not interested in being fed a news, you know, uh, cast in the way that it has been done traditionally. Absolutely. So that's going to go away. It's going to go you, away. You and I both know with the same, with, with, with the things that we talk about on Twitter, we go into spaces or any of these things, we hear news straight from the mouth of the people involved in the news. And then mm -hmm. you go hear that same news on the, you know, it, it doesn't matter where you hear it in it's two minutes and 30 seconds. Version. And yeah, it's packaged and it's edited and it's cleaned up and it's made appropriate for something that it may not be appropriate for. It's, it's so, a dying medium in that way. Here's what's really fun though. Radio has, has managed to outlast, I think for relevance TV, go listen to any talk radio, wh whatever side you believe in. Mm-hmm. You got to give it to them. I've done a lot of media. I've done hundreds of interviews at this point. TV is my least favorite to do. I've been on yeah. the big shows. I've been on Waters. I've been on, um, you know, I've been on Laura Ingram and I've been on Tucker and and I was on Bongino's when he was the biggest thing on the weekends. And it's my least favorite way to communicate with anybody. It's sound bites. It's clippy. It's top of the waves only. It's like a jet ski skipping off and then it's done. Sure. And it, and it doesn't really Instead have to do it. Instead of just a general conversation with a lot more content, believe it or not. And I, I feel it. I, I can see yeah. how that would be. That would that would work that way. The one who over there that really surprised me so much at Fox, just talking about Fox, was Dana Perino. Mm -hmm. I mean, here's a lady who she was at the at the at the debates and she's and she's she's one of the moderators of the debate. And then they, I, I seen a film of her like the previous night or that week um, called Hillary Clinton, the great woman. Um, it just, it, it amazes me that people don't really, I didn't know because I, I was very surprised at when, when I started really looking at who these people were, um, they, they, they posture a lot. They don't, they don't just go in and say, this is what I believe. This is what I think they, they do this middle of the road thing so much so that people don't really, in a lot of cases, realize how bad something really is because they well, play it down. It, let me tie it back to something to it. Let me tie it to something you said earlier. Mm -hmm. You you said congressman sitting at the table says one thing, gets yeah. out in front of his constituents, says another thing, tries to get elected. Mm -hmm. Forget what people say. This is a really easy thing. This is a good law enforcement thing. This is a good, um, I'm a paramedic as well. I was a paramedic for, you know, I, I think I've had my paramedic license off and on for the last 10 years. So you watch people. I'm in a lot of pain. Those are important words. Okay, got it. I'm noted. You know, what's your pain on a scale of one to 10? It's a nine. Owie, yeah. ow, ow, ow. My finger's broken. And then I watch you pick something up with that hand. I don't care what it is you say most of the times. And in the same way in law enforcement, I don't care what it is you are saying when your body is lying or your actions have told me something very different. Sure. So actions speak very loudly. And if you're paying attention, if you're watching the lips move and you're listening to the words and you're feeling what they have to say, and that mm -hmm. moves you, then you're getting played. 
And it might be okay. It might be somebody who's honest and is using a charisma and a, a, a tool like, like words and, and speech and sure. rhetoric that's useful. Or maybe they're lying to you. Watch what they do. If they tell you that they think that transgender people need to be stuffed into your bathrooms, but they take their kids to a private school that doesn't do that, and they married a woman who knows she's a woman, and they had children, and they take them to church on a Sunday, you know that that doesn't jive with their reality. They're saying one thing and they're doing another. So that's worth noting. If they tell you that they really believe in, take your, you know, your example of America First agendas, mm -hmm. and they don't vote that way then they've told you what's important to them. And it's not that. It's not that which you believed that it should be based on their words. That's that's correct. It's very and, easy. And I, I I tell people the same thing. I, I use this quite a lot, but I, I use the uh, the relationship between Obama and former President Bush as, as a prime example of that. I said, they seemingly, they were two different people. They, they ran in two different parties, had two different political affiliations, ideologies, supposedly. But if you look at them on paper, they're the same person. They did the same things. They passed this a FISA, uh, NAFTA, uh, 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 Patriot Act, Victory Act, amendments to the NDAA under under Obama that were no less harsh than the the creation of the Patriot Act itself. And he continued all of those same exact Bush era policies. Uh, dropped plenty of bombs on plenty of countries. Quite often. dollars. Yeah. The, you don't see a lot of spending reduced under Republicans just on what they're spending on, I guess, changes the game. Have you noticed the ever alarming 400,000 cell towers that have gone up in the United States alone? How about the electronics that reside in every room of our homes and Wi-Fi that runs 24-7? 5G cell phones are carried in our pockets hours on end. Common complaints are ringing in the ear, sleep deprivation, palpitations, headaches, memory loss, and so much more. Redemption Shield is on the cutting edge of offering products that protect your family from electromagnetic and microwave radiation, from Faraday bags, earthing bed sheets, Wi-Fi router covers, hats, scarves, bed sanctuaries. This will not be going away anytime soon. We will continue to see only faster speeds, 6G, 7G, and more exposure to EMF than any time in our history. Start protecting yourself now. Go to RedemptionShield.com and get grounded and shielded today. Use code PATRIOT and save 10%. Correct. Correct. The, the, the whole concept of a uniparty or that there's only one sort of group being represented. It's the people who have the most money and the people who have the most to gain for it. I think there's plenty to look at that. So, uh, you know, is there really an ideological bend? No. At the end of the day, a lot of times, and, and I like to use this analogy with my audience, you ever seen a cat with a laser pointer when you put the laser dot on the ground? Sure. Yeah. You know, if you're following the dot, you're not attacking the hand. So be outraged about this, be outraged about that, be outraged about this, look at the scandal, look at this thing, look at this thing. What are you not seeing? The money going back and everybody getting rich and all these kind of things. So end of the day, it's very interesting that people are so upset about words when the when we should be a country that's upset about deeds. And yeah. what are the outcomes? Dan Dan and Tucker were on the other day. They did a, a, a nice interview and the discussion was like, you know, do you love any politicians? You know, should you fall in love with any politicians? That was sort of the question. Mm -hmm. And the answer that, that I think Dan appropriately landed on is that you shouldn't love any politicians. doesn't matter whether it's Donald Trump or Barack Obama or anyone else. You should only be interested in the outcomes that they provide. And That's if the correct. outcomes, if the outcomes are not favorable to you, but you really like the way they said it, then you're a fool and you've been, and you've been conned. And so I don't like that. I like to look at, hold people accountable for what the results are.
So you were on the live with us or the, the spaces yesterday. Mara Macy was in mm-hmm. there. What a freaking firecracker this lady is. Oh my God. I, when she I heard her talk, anybody. She's been on my podcast as well. She's great. She's, she's not, she's, she's not, coming on the show. Uh, she's coming on the show this weekend, I think. But yeah, I mean, she just, did you see how she went at, she went at Matt Gates like I was Why not? Oh, lady. <laughs> she I had I, I immediately reached out. I was like, okay, here's here's a woman who's like she understands it. They work for us. They have a job to do. They're beholden to the American people. Well they all like doing to your say job it, or they? not. They they all love to say it. Oh yeah, like you're I guess you're my boss because you know I work for you. But do you? Are you working for me? Some sure. people are. Some people are not. Some people are in some capacities and not in others. I think generally speaking, if I were to go and average it out. The fact of the matter is that Matt Gates showed up for my friends who went and testified in front of Congress. He was there when they were being deposed. He's followed through on a lot of the things he said. His chief of staff or his chief counsel, you know, talks to me. And if I feed them things, they do something with it. I don't know what they do, but it doesn't seem like they can actually, they can't necessarily get traction. Their majority is so slim and it's certainly not his majority. It's somebody else's majority that he's part of. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not mad at the guy. I think overall, is he better? Uh, would I rather have him there than not? Yes, absolutely. But, I don't, but but hold him, you know, hold him accountable. I actually don't think he hates that. I think he's kind of a pugilist when it comes to verbal stuff. He's he's clearly very sharp, and so very. you know, he tells you straight up, this is this is politics. We're not pitching underhand. So <laughs> we're 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 this is so he knows the game, and I mean, you probably know more than I. Shortly after all that stuff that happened with McCarthy and ousting McCarthy as the Speaker of the House, there were there were some things that happened behind the scenes that were uh, a little hairy. And he was a, he, he the, the sad thing to, is this the the answer should have always been nobody fills the chair. Mm-hmm. If you like, like I just said, imagine if you spotted them their salaries. If we paid all the salaries for all the aides and for the congressman, I'm rounding up and I assume it's about $10 million. It's about $3.5 million for all the salaries for the congresspeople. If you add their aides in, let's say it goes up, I don't know, maybe it's more than that. Maybe it's $15 million. Who cares? Let's say it's $40 million. It doesn't even matter if we spent $400 million on congressional salaries that we would spend otherwise and they pass zero bills. That would be the best case scenario for the American people. Absolutely. I also like Ramaswamy's $0 budget to start. I, I like that concept. Yeah, come Most in and advocate. Imagine, imagine if you were going, like if your kids were coming to you, if your family members were coming to you and they were like, hey, I got this idea. Okay, what's your idea? Well, I want to do this thing. What's it going to cost us? What are we going to get out of it? You're going to do a cost-benefit analysis for every single thing you're advocating on behalf. Why would you not do that? Why would you not? That should be the baseline understanding. And the idea that the federal government's budget is fixed and that we will always have it, it can always blow and they can spend as yeah. much as they want, whether we have the money or not, are you flipping high? Look, yeah. You you want to see something crazy? I have it sitting here. I wonder if I, I don't have it in the uh, on my desk right now. The um the book is is called Term Limits. It's written by Vince Flynn. It's a fiction. You heard of it? No, I haven't. Okay. It was written in the late in the mid 1990s, 95, 96, something like that. I think it might have been first uh, paperback out in 97 if memory serves. I'm going from memory, but it's it's in that era, 96, 97. And the story is not really relevant as much as it's just like kind of a revenge rage fantasy of like a bunch of former operators going and taking out a bunch of politicians okay. and telling them, you know, return the government to the American people. Sure. But what's really interesting is they talk about the national debt, which was in the single digit trillions back then. That wasn't that long ago. I was in high school when this was going on. It so was at isn't the beginning it, of, at the end of Clinton's term. 
That's right. Isn't it amazing to think that we had seven or eight trillion dollars and the scare tactic was that by the year 2000, there might be $10 trillion worth of debt. Now we're what, over 35 or 38 or something? Like, yeah. We don't it, even need to know. It's the biggest threat to our sovereignty. Debt is insane. It's the thing that drives people out of their national security jobs and lets them do stupid things as well. And they make significant liabilities exist because they don't require people to have a serious, a serious base. It's the reason why I was able to do what I did, by the way. The way that I was able to go public was simply because, and the way that I was able to stand on my principles is that I, I generated a little bit of passive income through some investments. I put enough money away that I knew that they weren't going to take my family's you know, meals away. We lost our house, but it's because I sold it because I wasn't going to have a, you know, a $2,300 or $2,500 leak in my bucket for a mortgage. So sure. I just, I got rid of that. And now I rent it. If I had to move out and move into a trailer, we could do it, I guess. But we created a scenario where that we were basically, even if they canceled us, we wouldn't die. Most and, and, people and, in national security uh, realms don't have that. And what term limits said basically was essentially that the problem existed in 1996. And now we're here. We are, you know, 30 years later. It's mm-hmm. just, it's just that much worse. It, it, under Bush, we doubled our budget from the time they said that if you added up from George Washington all the way to Bill Clinton in one dollar figure, Bush mm-hmm. doubled that in his in his tenure. And then if you added Bush to that same equation when Obama came in, he did the same thing again. And Trump did too. And 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 then Trump spent what eight trillion dollars in a deficit spending. Trump Trump's Trump's spending was more easily tracked. And this is just not me being a Trump guy. It's just not because I am obviously I'm a, a big Trumper. But um, he, you know he, he came in on the backside of a guy who was decimating our military, who was disarming us as other nations were arming up. Um, you had both. Uh, China and Russia on the back end of the Hillary Clinton uranium cell and Bill Clinton on the board of a company who sold hypersonic technology to Russia. And then next thing you know, both China and Russia have hypersonic weapons that we couldn't counter. And, mm-hmm. and only recently had we just started doing testing and tests failed a few times. And now they say they, they're, it's operational, but is it, or are they just trying to tell us they are? So we can put up this front to make make it look like we can do this too. Um, it, it's very hard to tell, but it, it's all of the culmination of all the spending and, and no one being held accountable. You had Bush have uh, Ben Bernanke, uh, uh, the fox guarding the hen house, and, and and he worked at the Fed, and now all of a sudden he's in charge of the the money for the United States. And it's just like it's it seems to me there's something more nefarious going on here. And something much bigger than I think anyone has ever been able to put their finger on. I mean, we sit around and we can look at our headlines and listen to the news and read as much as we can and educate ourselves to the best of our abilities. But then you don't, uh, we don't know what the end game is still. And this is, this is the journey. This is what, this is what, this is why I do this. This is why I spend so much time educating myself about the laws and the bills and actually reading the affidavits and the stuff that other people would consider completely. You have to excuse my puppy. (laughs) <laughs> completely, uh, you know, uh, boring to uh, just put most people to sleep. They wouldn't even want to. But I have this, just this want to to know exactly why they're doing what they're doing. On its face, we can see it's wrong. We can see the Marxist uprising. We can see uh, uh, the the just the overwhelming amount of people teaching at our college level, uh, people, DAs in different cities. 
uh, not doing their jobs, what seemingly is intentionally not doing their jobs. Gascon is a great example of that. I mean, it seems to me like there's a more concerted effort to do something um, more nefarious to the country, but I don't understand why. Yeah, who wants to live in that country, right? Yeah, what is the reason? What what what, do you, what is your desired outcome? What are you trying to accomplish? That's that's my thing. And when I meet people who are, and there are a few, not very many, when I meet people who seemingly stand with them in solidarity, you know, we're riding with Biden. I just, <laughs> I don't understand. I don't understand the mentality of people that see some of the things that we see and we live through, and they they're okay with it. I've had people tell me, I don't feel inflation. Really? They're not, they're not. Yeah. If we can't agree on the simple facts of what things mean, what things are. And that's part of, I think what the cultural Marxism, the, the war on language and things like that. I think that's what they do. They mm-hmm. keep us away from common terms of reference. Marriage doesn't mean what it did when I was a kid, you know, mm-hmm. 20 years and ago. I, and I'll, I'll nobody go online to say this. Adam, that. Let me, let me, the reason why, and I believe this and I'm perfectly, I don't care. I'll say it. Um, the reason why marriage doesn't mean what it used to is because when you counterfeit something, the real thing doesn't mean the same thing anymore. And that's what I believe they did. They, they've started counterfeiting. They started calling same sex marriage is, is marriage. And for someone who takes his faith quite seriously, I know that can't be true. Um, the term in itself is, uh, is a spiritual term and it, 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 and it's something that I believe God puts his hand on. And this is, this is the, so they're going after religion in the same way. I did a I did a a, a brief uh, story expose on uh, the United Methodist Church, where I actually went into the church and confronted the pastor, um, confronted the the, the parishioners, the people there, and I challenged them on their on their theology, and none of them had an answer for me. No, there's no none theology. No, it's it's cultural. Um, it's cultural wishy washiness. It's a uh, it's a uh, you know soft a soft don't upset anybody sort of attitude but I, I actually think that the thing on marriage is actually even more elemental to me and and it actually goes to the roots of what western society has always been about like western society is different from other societies because we've valued a few things mostly we valued the future yeah the concept of the future yeah. was a value to people in western society and how do you do the future uh particularly in modern western society we're interested in education betterment of oneself and protection of women and children, which is how you get the future. Without them, there is none. And but so they distort what they are now. So how do you protect something? When exactly you correct. Define what it is. If we can't define the terms, then we can't have a consensus on what it means. And moreover, I think most most dangerously for a lot of people is that there was a very clear understanding that you could dissolve a marriage, even in my early lifetime, mm-hmm. if one party was unwilling to have children. That was considered an irreconcilable difference under the law. Mm -hmm. And we don't even consider that to be like, does anyone even ask that? In the church that I believe, you know, I'm a Catholic. I've been a Catholic my whole life. I've drifted away from the church and come back to it and and gotten much more involved as as an adult. Why? Because I had children. I've got skin in the game. I got four of them. And so my, my motivation is very straightforward. It's like, I want the world to be better for my kids than it was for me. That doesn't look like it's going to be really likely. So I'm now fighting no. like hell to make it even close to it so that it's livable. And so my kids don't have to be post-apocalyptic warlords, which is a real yeah. possibility at this point. And I'm sort of it like, is. it's like, so, do, do I John Connor them or do I, do I just sit there and try <laughs> to make the world better? I don't want to make them 
run around every day and knock out pushups and do you know weapons training sure. drills. I'm not above it. And I haven't reached the make or break point. Like they got a couple of years before you got to figure that out. Hopefully this country, you know, starts writing itself so we don't have to do that. But if we're not looking for kids, if we're not looking for the future, if we're not looking for betterment, if they've destroyed education, they've destroyed the sanctity of marriage, which means bringing forward children and raising them in an environment, not that's good for you. Who cares about you? That's right. You're only important in so much as the biological imperative that you pass your genes on. It's about the next one. You nailed it. But that's the thing. This society today is completely selfish. When, it, when people ask me what the opposite of hate is, it's not, I mean, love, it's not hate. It's selfishness. And, 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 and we, for some reason, the, the pervasive, way, the people, the way the kids, put it like this, the way kids look at things uh, today, we used to care about our legacies. Our last names, our surnames meant something. We wanted to uh, uh, make dad proud, mom proud. We had a legacy that we were continuing. We never wanted to bring shame on our family. We wanted our family name to actually mean something. Today, these kids do not give a damn about what mom and dad think. This is my life. It's mine, and I'll do what I want. There's no respect. And that's a failure of no mom and dad. Family. It's, it's, it, it is, it is. Let me, let me, let me definitely a that. failure, mom and dad. But what about, what about those moms and, and I'll challenge you on this. What about those moms and dads that were forced to be a two income household? So now that two income household, you have to have daycare. You have to have all these things. So your, your uh, ability to pass on your values to your kids stop at your front door when they go to whatever public school or whatever um, that they're call, that call they, the government schools. Yeah. Yeah, I, so I'm, here, I'm here's, it's not necessarily the most popular opinion because it doesn't, it, it doesn't, it's not that I'm not offering grace for people who have been in tough spots. I understand that people have, obviously I just lost a job. It was a very lucrative job. We went down to income of zero. It's not very fun. And, there. Uh, <laughs> I, and, and it's not the first time in my life that I've had no money. It's not the first time in my life I've been completely broke. It's the first time I had no income and I had children. I had three. That's a tough, thing that's to the be scary in. part. We can do it alone, but yeah, when I don't it hurts mind. the ones like, we love, oh yeah. Yeah, if I starve alone and it's just me when I was pre-military and homeless and you know I, I literally had negative 500 bucks to my name, I, I've been there and no job and no prospects and no knowing what to do. That's not ideal. But if I died at that point in time, it wouldn't have hurt anybody except my mom, maybe. You know, maybe not. <laughs> it would have been like, a, you know, she's got five kids. Mom loves like, you. Yeah, mom loves me, of course. So, but the thing is this, we need to set, set up what our values were. And remember what people did in this country. The people that crossed you know, go watch. I, I encourage everybody to go watch the first couple episodes of Little House on the Prairie. Not because they're so entertaining. <laughs> oh, you're but going go way watch back. what go watch what hard things look like in even just a Hollywood setting. Mm-hmm. It was way more difficult than what that was, but it gave you at least a taste, the nineteen seventies, late seventies taste in Technicolor of what it was to go out there, take all the things that you could put on a wagon and nothing more. That means that you left the plow you just saved your ass off to buy. That's because right. uh, you just got kicked off Indian lands and you can't be there anymore. And you left the plow and you left the house and you left, you know, the fire pit that you built and you left the barns and everything else that you put together, the lean to the hitching posts, the, uh, the well that you were digging on and that's all gone. And you're going to go start it again. Why did you do it? Because you want your kids to have a future because that's where you could be a free man and, and practice your religion the way you want to. And that is what it takes. And what do you do? Like two income houses there. What's really wild is this. Elizabeth Warren wrote a book called The Two Income Trap. Are you familiar with it? Yes, I am. 
Elizabeth yes, Warren used to know that women in the workplace actually were a detriment to the family, which was something that 90s That's Democrats right. knew was a problem. That's right. And having women in the workplace, and I'm not saying women that you shouldn't go work. I'm saying that women in the workplace yeah. as a We're just talking about the effects of it. What it does is it takes one person as the primary wage earner, which is a single point of failure. Would you agree? Yes. One person earning, that's a single point of failure. You lose the job, you lose your income. You're done. Yep. Now what you've done is you've introduced two people. And if they are both earning as primary wage earners, where each earns half of the primary wage or two thirds and one third of the primary wage to support it, you've now created the same problem with two points of failure. You've doubled the possibility for bankruptcy. And that is a, that's an instrument of control. Yeah, because you can increase your lifestyle to meet your, your income. No one, no one ever goes backwards. Unless you're the Seraphim family, in which case we basically are willing to do whatever it takes. My wife has a professional degree and a master's degree that I paid off my entire salary while I was at Quantico going through the academy, paid off her master's degree. That's what we did with it. So we had no debt. We bought a house. We had a mortgage, but I bet the VA, um, you know, the, the GI, what is it called? Uh, VA benefits rather when I bought a house. So we were able to do zero down, bought a house, lived on that, lived on our salary. We've only had one income since my wife and I. Uh, since before we had our first daughter. So we're going on wow. seven years and change now. We've wow. had one income and she schools our children. She's what do you do in these days after the FBI? I like, do a podcast. That's your, 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 your podcasting primarily. That's my, yeah, I mean, income. that's, you know, that's, that's, that's exactly what I'm chasing. Obviously. I mean, that's, I, I, you know, you guys, I, I don't, I don't think you realize it, you know, from an outsider's perspective, right? From from just Eddie's look, uh, you know, on on when I see see you on Bongino, and I hear the things Bongino uh, says and how he says them, and the elocution you guys use, and the intelligence you use to approach certain s- situations, and I look at that, and you guys don't realize how much you affect uh, and motivate and inspire people who watch you. To, you know, and this is why I think so much that I think that the, the federal government on so many levels don't want that out there. That's why I think that Elon Musk and what he did was so pivotal. It, it, I think it should be a historic. It's way more historic than what anyone realizes. Oh, it's, and it's it gave incredible. You guys an, it, it gave yep. you guys an amazing platform and, and, and you guys ex- execute, you know, your knowledge and, and help, you know, educate people. Um, People that otherwise would have never known the things that they do because, I mean, what were we talking about yesterday? The, the military, what was the form that they were, uh, they were, uh, looking at? I'm trying to get the, uh, the form, the name of the form. Oh, the declaration that they, they put out? Yeah. The mm-hmm. declaration, uh, what is it here? A declaration of military accountability. Mm-hmm. And when I heard, when I heard the, the, the reasoning behind the declaration for military accountability, I thought back to your story. And uh, as far as trying to get the religious exemption uh, while you're in the FBI turned down, um, these types of same things. And then I read that there are people that were in 17, 18 years that lost their pensions That's right. uh, behind this. And, and we should make all of them whole, by the way. And, and absolutely, we should make them whole and give them back pay. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what, what if, does this, is this only for the military and, and is that, that wouldn't include yourself in, no, in that situation. Look, and, I, I, don't, the way that- and I, don't, I don't ask anything for myself because it, look, I, I'm, I'm incredibly blessed that I had on accident a skill set that met a time 
and an opportunity all at once. And I went from making no income to being enough to support my family, doing what I'm doing right now, speaking to people. 80% of what I do is for free. 90% of my time is probably spent not actually earning income. It's just the the groundwork of yeah. essentially activism. And the activism sure. is, is funny. People go like, what do you do for a living? I was like, well, I, I host a podcast for a living. I, I, I do interviews and I, I give commentary. But in reality, that's not my full-time job. My full-time job is an unpaid government transparency activist. That's what I do all day. And my wife looks at me and she's like, you know, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm on my phone. I'm working. What am I working? I'm, I'm interacting with people on Twitter. I'm sharing stories. I'm talking to reporters. I'm giving Sounds like my dream job. It's, it's <laughs> exhausting. I mean, I start in the morning. I, my feet hit the, hit the floor at 6.05. That's when the alarm goes off. That's not super early for other people. But I'll go to 11 o'clock or midnight at, at night. And I've also got a, a four-month-old who is, you Ooh. know, she's teething and all the things that go along with that. And my wife I remember those days. So when it gets down to it, all hours of the waking day. Do I get to have lunch with my kids? Yeah, that's pretty cool. I get to sit down and have lunch and I've got a six-year-old and I've got a five-year-old and I've got an almost three-year-old and I've got a four-month-old. So I've got a bunch of little kids that are all under the age of seven and I get to see them during the day, but I'm working all the time and they know that. Sure. And it's not ideal because ideally speaking, I could leave my work at the door. I never leave yeah. my work. You know, here yeah. it is. What, you know, what time is I it? It's eight o'clock right now. It's eight o'clock uh, where I'm at. My kids are down in bed. I'll kiss them goodnight and they might be asleep and I'm going to continue to do things just the way it has to be done because I don't want them to live in a world under tyranny. And is a, right. is a bill that's going to happen from the military going to affect me? No, I wouldn't ask it. There's plenty of people in the federal service that are going to be like, hey, you know, what about us? And I, I hope they're made whole. I hope my friend Garrett O'Boyle is made whole. I really do. Yeah, um, Garrett O'Boyle is the one who moved across country uh, and they basically held on to his things and he had a, he had a newborn kid right he had a kid at the time or something uh two five, two. so no house no clothes his belongings were held by the fbi mm-hmm. i mean these people are uh, evil i mean there's and the capital evil you and have, they know um, that he didn't do what they accused him of they accused him you remember there was an interview that went back a ways um it was uh james o'keefe was talking to a guy in the shadows does a shadow interview with an fbi yes. whistleblower okay that's what they accused garrett o'boyle of doing they said it was him <laughs> And you well, know, I know I love, James, I love James O'Keefe, by the way, but yeah. there, there's, there's zero, there's zero scripture quoted in that interview. That's how I know it wasn't Garrett O'Boyle. <laughs> Garrett O'Boyle quoted scripture, even when he was testifying in front of Congress, because that's what he does. That's who Garrett O'Boyle is. He's quoted scripture to me since I've known him. When I found him first and we were both on signal together and we were talking, we were both FBI agents at the time trying to figure out what to do with his vax mandate. His, his handle was a Corinthians verse. That's mm-hmm. that's who Garrett O'Boyle is. If Garrett O'Boyle gives an interview and there's no scripture mentioned, it was either too short or they edited it out. That was not the case. He wasn't the guy in that video. And the FBI knew it wasn't him. But they accused him of it so that they could bankrupt him. And more importantly, they allowed him to move even though he was under investigation. And it is explicitly against FBI policy to allow someone to transfer divisions when they're under investigation. So they allowed him to move simply to F him over the words of the person who was involved in it. And the guy's name is Sean Clark. And he's currently a contractor at one of the government contractors called BDO, Bravo Delta Oscar. It's a big, you know, monster, you know, beltway sort of contractor. And that mm-hmm. guy left the FBI after screwing over someone like Garrett O'Boyle, got his pension, and is now working on his post, uh, his post FBI career job. And, uh, and he's a dirtbag. And I know all kinds of stuff about that guy because he's such a dirtbag that when I mentioned his name on my podcast, I had my email box fill up with people letting me know where he lives, addresses, not, not exaggerating. Wow. 
his phone number, his girlfriend's phone number, his ex-wife's phone number, his sister's phone number, all their email addresses. I got emails left and right where he works, what the address of the building he works in, his work email address, his work phone number, his work photos. People filled it up. All kinds of anonymous things hit in my my um, my uh, webpage. Well, let's, because let's people talk about hated it. this guy because he's scum. Well, let's, let's talk about a few <laughs> other FBI guys there that, uh, I mean, Christopher Ray, obviously the head, you know, crazy guy, you know, just... I, for lack of a better term, head asshole liar. Um, he he's he he was getting paid six point three million dollars per year from uh it was over nine. Well, I okay, I, I didn't see. I can only go off the report that I had. The one that I had said six point three, but even still, that's like six hundred percent more than every other lawyer across the country whose average uh, minimum uh, salary is about one point five four million dollars. That's it. And here this guy is. Um, he was making here's somewhere here. over $9 million, and now he makes the decimal point off that old salary. He makes about $230,000, $250,000 a year. But here's here's the backstory to that, what I so a lot of people don't know. He was representing a guy prior to, and I forget the name of the firm that he ended up uh, representing that was uh, the CCP-backed firm. And we all know anyone in China is China. Um, however... He had a guy that he was representing here in the United States of America, very anti from China, very anti China guy now, um, prior to being hired on by this company and in China and, and, and representing the CCP. So he gets hired by the CCP and, and he lets this other client go. And so he's working for them for an indeterminate amount of time. He gets made to be the, the director of the FBI. You know, one of his first tasks was he did is he locked up his old client. And the client's still sitting in prison today and over a, a, a bogus fraud charge. Because when we looked at the charges, they were really weak. And, you know, being somebody who knows the system pretty damn well, um, you don't sit somebody in, in jail that long and not having have them go to a trial. It's not a murder case. So there's not all this exculpatory evidence that needs to be found and all this. This is a really basic fraud case. And the guy's then I guess it'd be, uh, unless he's out now, it would be about four years or so. He's been held. Are we and, talking about Miles Gow? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, mean, here's, how here's is this possible? I don't know enough about Miles Gow's case to, to speak about intelligence, so I'd be off, off music to be doing that. What's interesting that most people maybe don't realize is that Chris Christie had a scandal. It's called Bridgegate. It was an old mm-hmm. school corruption situation that was going on in New Jersey with the Turnpike. And Chris Ray's firm was the firm that solved the problem for them. Chris Ray was the fixer for Bridgegate, and that's why he was recommended to Donald Trump by Chris Christie to be the FBI director. It was a mm-hmm. it was a favor, and that's how Chris Ray took on that that uh, that power seat. He it's, was just it's he, it was a favor to, to Chris Christie uh, because Chris Christie owed him because of a scandal that had happened that he fixed out of. So this is old school back scratching politics garbage. And like I said, a guy who's taken the decimal point off his old job and took a seven-figure payday and, and kissed it goodbye, you think it's because he just loves America? Do you think it's because he's no. just such a great patriot? Is that what's going on there? Or is it the fact that he's flying around in a damn private jet that we pay for that was a $60 million aircraft, and he's literally flying home to Atlanta, even though he, he lives in D.C.? His job is a 10-year appointment, and he didn't even move his family up with him. Because imagine taking a job like any other FBI personnel, which, by the way, happens for every single FBI agent. They all go to the academy, they all get stationed somewhere, and they all pick up their families and they move. Sure. Chris Ray didn't have to do that. He got an apartment, 
that was in DC. He flies home. He flies on that private jet. He has to reimburse the taxpayers, by the way, for use of the private jet. And the the fact that his security detail flies with him down and back. You know what he you know what he pays? Like two hundred bucks. Oh, okay. Okay. Well damn near that. <laughs> it, it's whatever it's whatever a Spirit Airlines or a Frontier Airlines ticket costs to the cheapest airport in the area and back to the cheapest airport in the area. So that's what he's paying. So well, let, let the man is not you know, it, it, it's it's fraudulent. The fact that we have these people representing us under this false pretense, and Chris Ray's a great example of that. I mean, he's he is an empty suit that is clearly capitalizing. I call him a politically appointed prince. Why? Because they obviously think they are. Why didn't they hold him in contempt over the FD-1023? No nuts. No balls. That that didn't make any sense to me. You have him dead to rights. He lied There's to no. There is the no... Because what, you, like I said, you look at people's words and then look at the outcomes. Look at their actions. What are the actions? The interest in doing the 1023 exposure and discussion. Mm. What is it really about? It's only about one thing. They're auditioning for Fox News that night. It's wow. Chuck Grassley gets a Fox News hit. It's Jim Jordan gets a Fox News hit. These people are not who they tell you they are in so much as they say one thing, but we can watch what they do and what they want. What is it's victory so look like? We had a hearing. I got to go talk about it on Fox. I got to raise more funds. I'm going to get reelected. And, I and think am I McCarthy, frustrated with them? Absolutely. Of course. They're garbage. McCarthy said it in, in an interview shortly after becoming speaker about the fact that they needed to cater to K Street. I mean, he said it right in the interview. He said it right out loud. I and mean, people that don't know what when he said what he's actually saying when he says K Street is talking about special interests and lobbyists. And I, I and don't hate the idea, though. Think about this. What is a special interest other than people who get together, put their money together and say, this is our cause. Mm -hmm. There are special interests that like are obviously not a problem because they're, I I think our American right to, to be able to protest for something and lobby for something, but there should be certain uh, guard guard, uh, something in place there to, to keep like people from like Newt Gingrich, for instance, when he left office, he immediately went and became a lobbyist and made millions of dollars. I don't think he's got all the phone numbers and all the connections. I agree with you. There should be a a cooling off period, the same as there are for federal jobs. You shouldn't walk out of a five year period or something. Should you walk out of the FBI and go work for a Twitter and work in the information space? Probably not. But here's, I guess, the the weird thing, I guess, that's most bizarre to me. And I'll maybe make make this my, my final thought. And it's something to the effect of the FBI was criticizing the Durham report, not because of any of the rules or the laws or the uh, culpability that was done there. It was the fact that there basically is a failure in that bureau culture to live up to the values of fidelity, bravery, and integrity. That's what you're supposed to do. It's made for a good and moral people. And so is our political system. Mm-hmm. Our political system expects that people are going to be honest and moral operators that are not right. aiming to be lifetime politicians. The founding fathers could have never imagined that. What they no. imagine, think about why there's a recess. They're supposed to go home and handle their business, to run their family farms or their 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 um, industrial processes. In the time when it was created and the way that the congressional schedule was set up, all of these people did it as a side hustle simply because they thought it was their duty because they had enough money to do so. That they could yeah. step away from their business, somebody else would handle it while they were gone. Then they'd go back and check in and be like, okay, how, how much did you screw up my life that I'm over here making my real money? Nobody George thought Washington- that- no, nobody thought they would be making that for a living. Nobody. George, George Washington, what, he threatened to hang a few guys over trying to make him king because he literally believed that the power should not be in, in one person's hand. He didn't want another monarch. Um, it, it, and let me ask you this real quick. I know we've been on for a minute, and but uh, it, we, we see everything culminating. We're in, we're in this last year of Biden's presidency. 
We see them trying to throw Trump off the ballot in several states. And we know what that historically um, has, you know, caused civil war before. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think in this, and, and, and I just want to hear your thoughts on this. I, I think that they know when Trump gets in office and rightfully so that there are going to be things done, investigations that happen, people, their heads are going to roll for lack of a better term. And uh, I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know how they're going to do it, but damn it, I just don't think they're going to allow things to just go smoothly right up into election day. I don't know what they're going to do to try to keep this man off the ballot. What you, you understand what I'm getting at. Like what's what, what do you see happening over the next year? Because Biden definitely cannot be there's no way in hell that Biden is going to be the president of the United States come next uh, next election cycle. It's not going to happen. But they yeah, seem hellbent on not allowing Trump to run. So, you know, that I think is a very that's a, that can be a precursor to the riots in the streets and things like that, like that we've never seen before, or at least in our I, lifetime. I don't know that there's going to be investigations the way that you just said under a Trump. I don't. I hope there are. I hope that's what's going on. Well, I guess that's people. what I'm saying. I hope there are too. Yeah. That's- I mean, I think that's, the, that's a, that's an instinct that we should have. I talked to people like Cash Patel and he says that there will be. And so, uh, man, I, I'm, I'm helpful. I, I like Cash. I trust him. He's a good guy. Um, if he has the authority to do the things that need to be done, then, then maybe there will be. But end of the day, um, Tucker's not wrong when he starts talking about things like assassinations or, you know, trying to take yeah, people. I, I stopped short of saying that, but that's what I mean. Like, I'm not going to ever censor myself and nor should, nor should you. Like I said, internalized censorship is censorship. It's the worst form of it, I think. So, you, you know, we talk about the things which we're fearful of. Therefore, we, we try to ward it off by knowing what it is, by naming it and then owning it. It's like, okay, they, um, they indicted him. Well, let's see. They searched him. It didn't work. They indicted him. That didn't work. I think they're going to attempt to lock him up. That may or may not work. If they lock him up, they almost assuredly make him the first guy elected from from a prison cell. cell. Yeah, yeah but I don't think we'll ever get to that point. I, there's a lot of people that, that have faith in the system, but then I think about it and I'm like, I don't have a lot of faith in the system. So I'm not that kind of guy. I don't know what's going to happen. It's going to get ugly. And there's plenty of people who have said there's there's no reason to believe that is a, that is an assured thing that we will have an election in 2024. So that's scary as hell to hear from people that are We've heard smart. that under Trump. We heard that about Bush when he was in office. We also heard uh, about- this is a different animal, man. I lived through all those things. And so did you, you know, it's like, I, these are the people I'm talking to are not like hotheads or people that are, that are not sober boaters. These are people that have lived this, this world well, that have worked in military. We're on the edge of world war three. So it's not beyond the realm of possibility. You have China getting ready to go into Taiwan. You have Kim Jong-un saying, get ready for war. You have Russia, I mean, there's a there's a case to be stated, and I and I, as much as I don't agree with RFK on a lot of things, there are things that I do agree with him on, and there there is a it, this whole uh, Ukraine Russia back and forth is not what people think it is. What uh, what a lot of people assume is just Russia being bullies and doing these. It's not that he's a good guy; he's definitely a very sick individual. But um, I, I don't think that Zelensky's not. I think that Zelensky is the Ukrainian version of Putin. We say we're supporting democracy and Ukraine, yet this guy just canceled elections. But you have all of these things happening. We moved, we moved weapon systems and defense missile, uh, missile defense systems and all that beyond the red line that we promised that we wouldn't. And here's NATO encroaching on, on, you know, Russia. And would we like it if China went into Mexico and started building 
uh, uh, weapons facilities and training down. Oh, hold up. Wait, they are. So we have so much going on that this is, you're right, the very first time in history where there's a very real probability um, that if a war kicks off, that you're right, it may not result in us having elections as, as we plan. And that's a scary thought. Yeah, it's but not it's what I want. Thought. It doesn't sound good. I mean, a, a complete collapse on every level sounds terrible. The nice thing is, I think Americans as a people, like I said, 80% agree on 80% are pretty resilient human beings. I, I, I love the people of this country. I despise the government of this country. Mm. Uh, more of my friends that have done government service have just been like, I'm, I'm ashamed of having worked there. I have friends who spent 27, 28, 30 years in the FBI and said like putting on a badge in the morning is like the most embarrassing part of their day. That's not a good thing, by the way. That's not a good thing for Americans. It is a good thing to at least recognize it and call it out. So if nothing else, if people want to walk away, I, I don't walk around and, and feel dismal. Otherwise, I wouldn't even get out of bed. Like, why sure. would my feet hit the floor? I literally sure. get out of bed every single day. I do everything I can that makes sense to me to educate people, to to share information, to make accessible information, to make connections whether they be for Donald Trump's investigators or for people that are journalists or whatever. I'll make all the connections I can help every time I can. I sure. always do it. Um, people who are running for office, Mara Macy types. I'm, I'm more than happy, Mara Macy rather. I'll do that all day. Um, and I only do that because I have some degree of hope. And a lot of that is, is that I don't know that it's going to get solved in this lifetime or it's going to get solved on this planet, in this, no, on this earth. And that's okay too. That's, that's the best part about being a religious person. You go, I'm going to fight every way that I can and at some point, it may not matter, and I'm going to have done the good thing that I needed to do. I'm going to live a good life. I'm going to be and that's honest. it. That's it. It's more about the fact that I decided to fight the right fight. It, it doesn't. Uh, yes, of course, winning is the goal. Uh, but that's that's fighting, already written down. It turns out fighting is the obligation. You know, yeah, that's the obligation, regardless of the outcome. We already know what the outcome is going to be. That's right. But it, 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 I it, like I, I appreciate you coming on. Like, one more thing. What, what is your prediction for the next year? What do you see happening? I think it's going to be lit. I don't think I can get any. I think it's going to get real wild and everywhere that it could be. I would not want to live in an urban area. That's all I know about that. I think that we're going to see all the possibilities of interruptions, whether it be uh, supply chain, logistical type things. I think you're going to see interruptions of power. I think you're going to see interruptions of water. I think our infrastructure is definitely exposed based on having worked on that type of threat. Um, doesn't mean everywhere is going to see it at all times. I think it's going to be localized. I think it, th like everybody should have a couple days with the food, a couple days with the water, a couple days with yeah. uh, guns and ammo. If you're you're foolish, if you're not preparing yourself for a little bit of self reliance, let's call it that self reliance. Yeah. I don't do prepping. Mm -hmm. Prepping is a prepping is a is a TM trademark sort of like a genre on YouTube. What I say sure. is that you should be prepared to do certain things. You should have a plan and to to be basically insulate yourself against insecurities. The same way that I did when I had a national security job, which sure. meant putting money away, putting food away, making yourself uncancelable in some way, shape, or form. And then the last thing, if I could get my little soapbox, my group is called the Suspendables. That's what this that's what this logo is. This is the FBI's badge, give or take, upside down. Sure. And and when we fly the flag upside down, when we wear the badge upside down like this, we're talking about it being a, an agency that's under duress that is operating in a situation that is distressful. Right. And so to be someone who's willing to lose a job, particularly a job that you really like, to be someone who's willing to lose a friend, someone that you think highly of, to lose contact with a family member, to do all the things that need to be done. The suspendable thing that we've created, this little life raft that my buddies and I have kind of created and clung together on, what it simply is, is that you draw a line in the sand of things that you will not accept and then you just don't, no matter what. 
And that means if you go into a grocery store and they won't let you in and they physically are going to remove you because you don't want to put a mask on and you've decided that you're never going to wear a mask again because you know it's made up and it's fantasy sure. and you're not an actor, which is what I would always say. Hey, will you put on a mask? And it's like, oh, no, sorry, man. I'm not an actor. I don't do pretend. And they right. would go, oh, but you need to have one. And be like, pretend that I have one on then because that's the same as me pretending that it works. How about you put on two, like one facing outward so that you have one and then there's one in front of you. It's just like I'm wearing one, except I'm not because I'm not going to do it. So whatever you need to do, but they, they throw you out, then you don't shop at grocery stores like that. And if you can't shop at any grocery stores and it turns out that you have to just like do a Robin Hood and start robbing for food, if that's what you've decided your line is, then you should be willing to go all the way or kill you know animals and skin them and do whatever it needs to be done. Draw the line in the sand, however, whatever reasonable thing you're willing to accept and whatever you're not going to accept. And sure. don't give that ground up for anything. You're, you're speaking my language. You're speaking my language. I've, I've had this anything. situation. I've, I've had this situation in professional circles where um, my rule, my personal rule is I won't bring up this kind of stuff in a, you know, in a professional setting work, whatever. I, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, ostracize anyone and in, in, in that sort of a thing in a professional setting. But the caveat is you can't do it either. So the moment that you start to espouse whatever opinion you have on transgenderism or uh, uh, abortion rights or whatever, the moment you do that, you just open the door and, you know, that's, but it's, it's only controversial when a conservative speaks. It's if, if everyone's in echo chamber. It's it's like, I I refuse to accept things that are not true. That's mm -hmm. a, that's a line as well. I refuse to wear a mask. That's a line. I'm not going to get a shot. If you tell me to, that's a line. If you tell me that I can't come in this building, I'm I'm a veteran. I have a VA benefit. I can go into the VA hospitals. I tried to go in. You want to hear something stupid when I was working for the FBI. I tried to go in to get to use my sick leave because I was going through a significant amount of mental anguish when they were trying to like, you know, run me up on these, these, uh, internal investigations. And I had lots of sick leave. It could have paid my bills for a while. So I went to the VA and I said, I called them and I said, I'd like to have a mental health appointment. I'd like to do it over the phone. And they said, that's totally fine. We're happy to do that. But first we need to get you squared away and set up in the system. Okay. What do you need? So they asked for all this stuff, send all your paperwork in. I've done it again. And I was already in a different system, but I wasn't in New Mexico. I loaded all my stuff up. And they said, okay, there's one last thing. We just need to do blood draws. I said, I'm trying to have a mental health appointment. Why? And they said, that's just our system. I said, can you bypass it? They said, no. I showed up at the door. I said, I'm here to do a blood draw. They said, you have to wear a mask. I said, I'm not going to wear a mask. What do you want to do next? I said, I'm a licensed paramedic in, in a national region and also in three other states. Would you like to give me the needles? I will draw my own blood. I've done it literally thousands of times for other people. I'll draw my blood, but I'm not going to put a mask on. I'll do it in the parking lot and bring it back to you. What do you want to do? And they kicked me out. Hmm. So I didn't get my mental health evaluation. I couldn't show that I was having transitional anxiety, which I was, obviously, that was a transitional situation. And I sure. didn't get the 240 hours worth of pay on a salary so, that was one hundred and twenty something thousand dollars a year. So the they would have paid me. Now they, they suspended you, right? Or yeah, they, they suspended me once. Un, unpaid suspension for a full year. But I could have got paid out for those for those sick days if I took sick days. But I couldn't take my sick days without a doctor note. And the doctor note that I had, which came from a regular doctor, they said, well, that's not a mental health practitioner. And that was only for that's three days. 22. So we're not going to honor it unless you go and get a, a longer note. So I went to go get a note and I couldn't do it because I'm not willing to put a mask on to go into a mental uh, medical facility because I'm not an actor. That's And, and it was like, did it, it cost me probably $20,000. Yeah. So if you're not willing to take a cost for whatever your line is, I know exactly how much it cost me. 
right? And that's it's 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 yeah. You draw the line in the sand, and you adhere to whatever principle it is that you decided that you're going to adhere to. This is what I stand for. This is who I am. This is what I believe. And I haven't thought about it since until right now. Like from that moment on, I just moved on with my life. It's like okay. Mm -hmm. Because uh, that's that's what you do. You you make a rule for yourself. You add some standards, and you live by them. Forward. Always forward. Yeah, yeah. You, 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 the values and the standards of the United States right now are under attack. We see, you know, like we talked about the bathroom issue with the transgender. There's a lot of this that's going on, and just like we have lines in the sand, but uh, I, I believe they want us to be over compassionate and over sympathetic to the point of our own detriment when it comes to these types of things, because they're throwing our standards and values and ethics and all of that in the trash and expecting us to adopt a foreign way of feeling, thinking and believing without consideration of our own. And it's the same thing when it comes to tolerance, you want me to tolerate your beliefs and your feelings that you are the sex to which you aren't, or you, whatever the case may be, that's just the one that's prevalent right now. But you, you give no consideration at all to me being a God fearing man that believes that, uh, life is, you know, starts at conception and, you know, all of the rest of, of, of the things that we've always adhered to in this country forever. This is not new. And, and that's why I said, it's like, I ask people all the time, where's your line in the sand? Where's that thing that says it's just too far? Where, where's that at for you? And cause mine was crossed a long time ago. And, uh, we're just trying to figure a way out at this point now to get back to, the way things at least were on our value or a standard level. And I just don't see how that's possible well, as long coming. as people, uh, yeah, I think I, the, I the a, pendulum is swinging. Lot of faith. It's swinging. The pendulum is swinging. I, I, I do it like this. So I th if you rock the canoe to the left and you rock it to the right and you rock it to the left, and it, 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 sooner or later the canoe is going to flip. And I think this is the year of the flip. This is definitely the year. 2024 is the year of the flip. It's it's coming because when it flips back, it's going to flip hard. The fourth turning is here or uh, Neil Howe. So, yeah, I'll, ch I'll check that out. I'll check that out. Well, it's Kyle, I, I, I appreciate you taking the time, sir, to, to sit down and, and speak with me. And hopefully it's not the last time we get to do this. Is there anything you want to uh, say uh, before we get out of here? No, I just want people to have hope. Nobody should be giving up. Uh, there's no reason to give up. There's only reason to find what you like, what you believe in, and then uh, stand up whatever it costs you. And it might cost you a lot. There's red, red martyrs and white martyrs. Most people aren't asked to be a red martyr to die for what they believe in, but mm -hmm. you might have to be uncomfortable for it. So tuck yeah. in. It's going to be a wild year. It's, we're sacrifice all going to go through it together. Is a good thing. And sacrifice is noble. And as usual, uh, my sign off goes something like this. The silent majority, you need to stop being silent and stand your ground. We'll see you next time on the Patriots Prayer Podcast. You guys have a great day. If you man enough, come stand with us. Take USA, baby.